Hello and welcome to this episode 36 of the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name's Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and I'm recording this on Thursday the 15th of June 2017. This week I'm speaking with Louis Jensen, the founder and editor-in-chief of Illegal Magazine, which works with drug addicts as a way to empower them and to open up conversations about drug use and addiction. As you'll hear, he's a controversial character and he's made a controversial magazine that now has distribution in key cities across Europe and the USA. And I was really interested to hear him speak about both his short-term and long-term ambitions for the magazine. I met Louis while speaking on a panel at the Byline Festival of Journalism over here in the UK a couple of weeks ago, and it's the first time I'd come across Illegal, which makes it even more surprising that he's been doing it for five years now and growing and building all the way. I should say that this week's conversation with Louis does contain some swearing and, as you'd expect, some stuff that's not really suitable for kids. So if you've got children in earshot, it's probably best to stop now and come back to us next week. Okay, I think that's probably enough time to switch off a podcast. Um, I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Louis Jensen from Illegal Magazine. All right, so I'm here with Louis Jensen from Illegal Magazine. Louis, thanks for coming over. Thank you. Uh, You've got a magazine which is probably best described in terms of another magazine. So when I heard you talk about this the other day, you talked about it as sort of like The Big Issue, Mm. but with a difference. So tell us why it's a bit like The Big Issue and what's the difference? Um, So it's like The Big Issue is in the fact that the the whole point of the magazine is that we give it to people on the streets, drug users mainly. Um, we also found that through research that most people who live on the streets are addicted to drugs anyway. So it's a kind of an alternative source of revenue for them rather than going, you know, robbing people, stealing, or even selling drugs themselves to pay for their own habit, selling themselves for prostitution. Um, it's an alternative resource and it kind of gives them purpose um, f- for work. And basically it's different to the big issue because what we're, we're quite honest with the stories and that we put within the magazine and we want them to educate people, not in a biased way, but give people a kind of background on drug use, uh, people's experiences of drugs around the world, so people become a bit more educated, a bit more grounded, and the old conversation is a bit less of a taboo. Um, also it's different from the big issue because we don't have advertisement in it. It's not something there to make us money, it's something to give back to the people. Um, we set, I set up a legal UK CRC last year and the whole point is to generate revenue for that model to then put back into um, kind of uh, drug rehabilitation campaigns, uh, decriminalisation campaigns for drugs uh, and generally the people that we, that we work with our vendors on the street. It's also more provocative than the big issue because the with, with the big issue you're saying I mean the, I guess their pitch is buy from this vendor and they're gonna get a portion of that money which they'll use to maybe find somewhere to stay that night or maybe get something to eat or maybe get buy some drugs. Yeah. Whereas for you, it's like buy it from them because they'll buy drugs with the money from that. Yeah, that was kind of like our first. I want to say kind of marketing campaign was that yeah um, yeah 
buy this magazine and fund their drug habit was basically the kind of message. But that was just kind of a play on the big issue anyway, because I feel like they try and hide away from the fact that these people are on the streets buying drugs. Uh, we got kind of slandered by the big issue for, 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 for sort of going about it that way. But we're just kind of open and honest that I realise that these people will use the money to fund their drug addict because that's how they're getting by in their life because obviously there's an underlying issue of why they're taking these drugs in the first place. The drug's not the actual issue. There's, there's something that they're running away from. So if we just highlight the, you know, the situation that they're in, then hopefully then we can deal with the underlying issues in the long run. And it seems like this is part of a wider context as well. So mm. you've talked, uh, well, at the event we were at the other day, you talked about the safe needle vans mm -hmm. where, you know, it's all about accepting people are taking drugs, so let's help them do it in a safe way. So I guess it's people are taking drugs, let's help them make the money for that in a safe way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And just kind of, it, it's, it's kind of like I want it to be, we want it to be a kind of shock to the public as well, make them kind of open their eyes and realise what's going on around them. Because like you say, drug, drugs are not going to go away. People are going to take them and weirdly, in more in more recent years, people are finding more legal ways to take like legal highs, which are actually more damaging than some of the the illegal highs that we get, like cocaine or marijuana that comes from a plant. People are knocking up things in 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 chemists uh, chemists are knocking up things in pharmacies, and so it's kind of just it's kind of a chuck in the face to the public as well to make them really sort of sit back and and, and look at what is going on in the world around them. So, I guess the big question is. How do you find yourself doing this? I've always been, since I was, since I was younger, I've always been kind of exposed to, to sex and drugs to a certain degree. It's never been something that's shone away from me. Um, I don't come from a particularly bad background at all in that case. It's just that I come from a very, very open family. So, you know, my dad gave me my first line of gear when I was 15, got my first hooker when I was 17. It's something that I've always kind of, you know, my stepdad, sold weed and then gave me my first ounce to sell when I was 15. Um, I then grew a ton of weed uh, and actually ended up buying a house. Most people were buying Beamers, I bought a house with it. Um, so I invested my money well. I knew quite a lot of mortgage advisors at the time where I can <laughs> manage to swindle in. It was just before the crash, so it was quite easy to, to, to get a mortgage back then. But um, So I was kind of involved with it from that end and then I kind of I spent a bit, especially selling drugs, you spend a lot of time in, in different kind of, you know, crack dens or different kind of dangerous scenarios where you're kind of open to the illegal world of drugs. And it kind of made me realise that this is a kind of issue that's, like I say, is never going to go away. So what we need to do is try and tackle it and try to make it a better environment for all involved. Because what people don't understand is even drug dealers, I sympathise with drug dealers, obviously being an ex-one myself, but... A lot of these people are, are decent people. They're not out there to harm people. They're not out there to run some huge um, organised crime unit where they're murdering people or killing people or running extortion. I mean, there is, that, that does go along, but there's a, lot, there's a lot of the other side where these people have families and have kids and are looking to just provide for their kids. We live in a world where some people have to have two jobs just to survive. So you can understand why it's so tempting. So then I started joining, like, I was heavily smoking weed and then I started joining different kind of political groups like Clear um, and then um, Clear and Normal uh, which were those kind of cannabis law reform and they kind of weren't really doing it for me. Um, I went to a demonstration once outside parliament and 
even though they're, I was like, no, what we got to do, what we got to educate the people, give me some leaflets, I'll start talking to people. And then their attitude was like, yeah, we are going to do that, we're just going to sit in a smart circle and smoke weed first of all. <laughs> and it kind of just brings that stereotype around to what a stoner is. And it's kind of upsetting because I smoke weed every day, but you didn't, I didn't take any weed with me to that de- demonstration. Because I'm not there trying to, I'm, I don't want to legalise or decriminalise it for myself. That would just be silly because I'd do it anyway, so I don't really give a shit what the law says. I will smoke, to, you know, to the day that I die. I'm trying to do it for the greater good. I feel like if we, especially if we decriminalise and legal, well, if we legalise marijuana, there's 9.2 million people in London alone. Denver, Colorado's got 6.4 million people. They rake in 50 million a month in taxation alone, which they put back into healthcare and, and education. If we got 9.2 million people, we could, you know, halve that again. So. It, it just seemed kind of ludicrous to me how like no one was kind of raising awareness for this. So then that's when I kind of met Michael Olsen in um, in Denmark in Copenhagen, and he set up these fixer lance places where he was kind of driving around in a van illegally, um, as and using them as safe injection facilities. The government ended up picking up on that, and then they've actually now implemented that up and down the country. He's now doing it with another van called Sex Alarms Van, which is obviously the same principle, but this time with prostitution. So prostitutes have a safe place where they can serve their clients. And then hopefully that will end up being implemented into, into, the, um, into the country as well. So that's kind of like the idea. I spoke to Michael and we, you know, he was kind of starting that out there. And then we kind of, I said, well, I think we kind of need to give this a broader reach because like, drugs is such a taboo, taboo conversation. Um, and that's when I kind of brought it over here and then started doing it in an English version. Um, and now that's why we've now got to this first global edition where it's got distribution in yeah, Dem- uh, Copenhagen, London, Berlin, Paris, Toronto, New York, LA, and, uh, Oakland and San Francisco. And yeah, I'm now hoping that because of that, it will just become a more worldly conversation about drugs drugs as a whole, because I think it's become very common to talk about marijuana at the moment, because 26 states in America alone have legalised it. Uh, obviously, you've got Uruguay that's legalised it. You've got uh, Portugal that have, have decriminalised drugs since, since 2001, and they have a lower drug dependency rate than any other country in the world, uh, than any other country in the EU, sorry. Um, so, yeah, I'll just... I'm hoping it's now moving on to more the harder kind of drugs involved as well. Not I want to open up the conversation to like cocaine, meth, heroin, heroin especially because it's still one of the most it's still the most addictive drug in the world, um, and more people are depend oh sorry more people are dependent on that drug than any other drug in the world, and more people die from that illegal drug than any other drug. In terms of legal drugs, people die from alcohol more than anything else in the world, and sugar, which is the most addictive legal drug. All right, so so you started in Copenhagen, you said the end of 2012 mm-hmm. with the mag coming out 2013. And then what's been your path onward from that to your international edition just coming out now? When we brought it to, so we've done really well there. And, I, and then we obviously would like, well, London's a big city. And I've spent a lot of my time in East London and the kind of, what is kind of amazing about this magazine is the kind of design uh, and the kind of texture of the magazine. It kind of feels like a collectible for you. That's the whole point. And it's actually printed by monks in a monastery in Denmark, which is insane. They even proofread it as well sometimes. So, How do you end up printing with monks in Denmark? 
this is for Michael found this, and this was through um, working with a printing company that uses recycled paper or off-cut paper. So this is Munken paper, which is actually quite an expensive paper to, to, to get printed in, in the UK. But this is kind of all off-cuts from different magazine prints. Really? Yeah. Um, and just by coincidence, they happen to be monks <laughs> in a monastery. Uh, I mean, they have a full, you know, limited company, but there are monks in a monastery. So that's kind of... Which just adds to the story as well, and adds to the romanticism of the whole magazine. So the whole idea is that it's like a kind of collectible. And then looking at London... What I noticed where it kind of would, and this is kind of coming from a business sense, but what it would do well, especially like most of my work's based around East London, is this contrast between rich and poor, like this contrast of, you know, city slickers or even, you know, quite, quite big artists that are doing well in the areas. And I don't want to say the word hipster, but, you know, it started to become the hipster back then. And then this contrast with people that you grew up in Hackney in East London that literally don't have a pot to piss in anymore, or some of them mostly living on the streets. Because Shoreditch has always had one of the highest crime rates for a London borough uh, within Zone 1 and Zone 2, I believe it is. Mainly for, for actual bike fare, for like bicycle fare. But still, it's just kind of the contrast between the rest of the, rest of the, um, the city. So I kind of I like that idea of, well, let's, let's, give these, let's give these hipsters something to buy. And let's then help these people on the street, these people that are addicted to drugs, these people that are homeless, these people that do struggle to even see their kids or have a, a roof over their head. So that's why we want, I wanted to introduce it into Shoreditch. Um, we released, we've we done a pilot edition which we self-funded us, uh, I self-funded, um, and we had a launch event there and we invited a load of people down, walked the streets for like 24 hours, recruiting different vendors. Um, many of them who were kind of off put by the magazine because of its look and feel, it kind of, and because of my kind of look, were kind of intimidated by me and thought I was just trying to pull their leg. I was like, no, you can sell this magazine, we're gonna give it to you for free, you can generate money, etc., etc." And a lot of them chucked it back in our faces. They really did. Then I met Jo, um, Josephine O'Neill, who's from the kind of Shoreditch area, and her sister is also uh, homeless and addicted to, to drugs as well. And she's kind of, she's young and bubbly, really. And, she, and I mean, she's lived on the streets since she was 14, 15. And she's kind of well known within that community there. So I kind of befriended her and I gave her a ton of magazines and she ended up becoming like a poster child for the campaign. So we got really good press, we were on the BBC, we went right stuff, um, LBC a couple of times. Kind of talking and promoting it. And because of that, everybody thought it was a kind of collector's item. So Joe was selling them for, I mean, minimum she was selling them for £25, but she was getting up to like £300 one person offered her for one of them. So because of that, that kind of, like I said, that contrast in the area, the very rich and the kind of the very poor as well, she really ended up benefiting from it. And then she ended up being able to get her own place. She made £7,500, managed to get her own place. £7,500? £7,500 she actually made in the end. Because she just kept going back for magazines and magazines. She was basically my contact within the rest of the community there, sort of saying, no, this isn't bullshit. This, this guy is, trying to hit, is here trying to help us out, is trying to offer us something alternative to the big issue. Because a lot of them grab the big issue and there's no, there's no, there doesn't seem to be any pride with the big issue. You, there's, there's a kind of attachment, of, there's like a stigma attached to the big issue of if you say the big issue, you're poor, you're homeless, you're scum. 
Whereas if you kind of sell in this, there's kind of a bit more pride because you're actually trying to make a difference within the world at the same time, not just trying to sell a magazine to make money for yourself. And that's where I go back giving some sort of like uh, purpose to them as well. Not I can't imagine as many people who sold a copy of the big issue for £25. No, I can't. <laughs> no, no, I don't think they have. So she, and then she got to manage to see, like she, um, social service let her see her kids again twice a week. She ended up getting a boyfriend, which she's still with now. And it's kind of nice to kind of see that progression. So from there, we knew it was kind of a go. Um, although the kind of on-face short-term gain is to give these empower vulnerable people to, to have a purpose, to, to create their own revenue without having to resort to crime. The kind of bigger long-term game is to basically open up the conversation of drugs, um, of drug dependency, of decriminalization, and hopefully then end up changing policy. That's kind of the long-term goal. So there's a short-term goal on the face of it, which everybody sees, but I'd also like everybody to kind of know there is that underlying long-term goal as well of decriminalisation. And so this is presumably now, uh, you want to have decriminalisation on an international scale because mm. you're not just in Copenhagen, you're not just in London, you're now all over the place. Yeah. And is this something then that, do you need to physically be out in those places? Because that sounds expensive. I mean, the, how, how are you managing this, this expansion? I'm lucky with my work. I run a creative agency and we travel a lot. I also have another non-for-profit which is called Spray and Bricks where we do different re art regeneration programs around the world. Fortunately, my network is huge. I mean, I'm on artist network alone is 1,842 artists from like the other side of America to the other side of Asia to the, the bottom of Australia um, to the depths of Africa as well. So I'm very fortunate enough that I have a large network of friends um, and generally, being in an artist world, those, those people are kind of self-righteous or want to do something good in the world anyway, uh, even if it is for their own ego. Um, so it's, I'm kind of lucky that I can t tap into that network and I push it to the right people through that. So, I, I, you know, as much as I try and fund myself, I am fortunate enough that with my work that I can travel to all these different areas and different countries and experience these different cultures as well. You know, you've got places like Indonesia where they'll kill you for a bag of weed. It's fucking insane you know, uh, for a plant that, you know, that actually their kind of climate, climate grows perfectly <laughs> in the summertime, especially. So yeah, I, it, it's, it, it's difficult to organize from here, I suppose, because uh, on the other, on the other side, not everybody is as motivated as me, but at the same time, I don't mind it being a slow process as long as it's getting there. If as long as it's getting there, it's better than not getting it there. You know, if it gets there within, you know, so, for instance, this edition's just come out. We've launched this in the UK and Copenhagen, but Oakland haven't yet to release it um, because they're, they're waiting it back to get it back from the printers. So that's what we do. We, we create the magazine. Me and another guy from Denmark both confer. We collect all the articles, we share them, and then we come up with the actual outlay, pass it to our designers, and then we would send it to the rich respective cities around the world. And then they will get it printed in their own country. Unfortunately, they can't all get it printed from Denmark. Although it cost me half the price to get it printed in Denmark and get it sent over to the UK, but obviously that, that's not the case in other places like the States or Canada, you know, in America or Canada or, yeah. So, so you've got separate little operations, say, say one in the US, which is printing for everyone in the US and sending out from there. So does that mean then that... They, well, my agents within, so my Connect, who's distributing that within that city, 
they source it themselves. Yeah. yeah. And so that means then that you don't need to worry about money coming back from people in the US because it's they're the ones who are printing it. So they just have to organize that amongst themselves. Exactly. Exactly. So you're kind of decentralizing it to make the whole thing a little bit easier to run, I guess. Yeah. And it's kind of like almost franchise in that respect as well, because I'd kind of encourage I kind of encourage them as well to set up their own kind of non-for-profit organization, set up an account where they can flow the money through. And coming from a business background anyways, I always think it's good, regardless of what you're trying to do, to try and have some sort of professionalism with it. Although it's been almost impossible for me to get in a bank account with a name like Illegal UK. <laughs> I'm not joking. Even my, I, I bank with Lloyds and I have two business accounts with them and three personal accounts with them and they refuse me. They refuse to, to open a bank account called Illegal UK. The only person that's been able to do it is Metro Bank. Yeah. All right, well, well done, Metro Bank. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. They're quite open to do anything, so. All right, so you've got the, the this 12th edition. This is a big deal because now you're international. So where do you go from here? What's the, the plan from now? The whole point is not to have an on, really have an online presence as such, especially for the articles, because we want, obviously, we want people to have that desire to go out, find vendors, pay them for, for the magazine and have a physical copy in their hand. But we are looking, because of going global, I think it's important for the longer term goal of decriminalisation, changing policy, uh, working on uh, drug dependency schemes, it's better to kind of have a social online presence. So at the moment we're trying to look at developing a website for something that's like kind of engaging to the user. It makes them kind of feel immersed, so with the videos, photography. Because um, is this something that you do in your professional life? Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I do that in professional life, it just kind of makes sense to try and transfer that into into all aspects of what I do. Um, so that's kind of short term over the next year. We'd like to do that, and then weirdly enough, we're going to want to do kind of more podcasts. Is something that we want to do. We want to have open open discussions. Um, you know, from from you know, with our vendors who are on the street up into kind of like what you would cast as, I don't know, like the authority figures, you know, people in government. Um, and then the kind of host events to raise awareness as well, like music events as well. Um, we want to try and want to try basically try and work out ways this year of how we create revenue to then put into to, 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 to schemes in the future, so like think tanks and stuff like that. Um, we want to team up with, we do a lot of work alongside Voltfast, which is another another publication, you should maybe actually check that out. Um, it's, we, we actually don't know their branding for them as well, but they, their slogan is serious about drugs. Um, and we want to team up with them because to create think tanks and then find our way into policy creating as well. I think that would be the kind of long-term goal. Cool. It's creating right. different types of policies that we'll then think will work in because that end up becomes really complicated because then you have to look at your own local country but then look at other other international countries as well. Like obviously, Europe's not so bad, although when we exit the EU, it might change things slightly. But places in Asia are very difficult to tap into, and I think that would be something as well that we would want to invest in is trying to push something like this out there. All right, well, good luck with it, and I guess people should look out for illegal on streets near them Yeah, now. it's mainly, mainly the, the areas that you'll find is mainly the areas of contrast, so Camden, Brixton, Shoreditch. 
Um, but we're also testing it in, because I'm originally from Hastings, which is by the sea, and we have a huge, they call it the big H for a reason, not because Hastings begin with H, but because they have a huge heroin problem down there. So we're trying to push it down there. Um, we're also looking at Glasgow as well, which also, even though they have Finiston, which is kind of the Shoreditch area of Glasgow, there is there is quite a lot of places kind of outside, like Greenock and, and stuff like that, that are kind of dependent on drugs. So. Yeah, we were trying to push it, push it into areas currently where there is drug use because we want to try and educate people, those who are actually currently addicted in those areas. So like I say, jo, Josephine, who's kind of our poster child, she always said, if this, if this magazine was around when I was a kid, then maybe I would have known something, learned something, known what's actually taken. Because she didn't even know what she was taking at 14, that her boyfriend was injecting with heroin. And she didn't know that. She didn't know what it was. And then obviously it's had a long-lasting detrimental effect on it. So, and then from there, push it to the more kind of wealthy areas where drugs is a taboo. And, and, and basically open up the conversation with these people who live in these kind of more well-to-do areas where there is little drug crime, but make them aware of what's going on around them in the surrounding boroughs. That's kind of important. All right, listen, good luck. Cool, thank you so much. All right, that's it for this week. As you heard, Louis is absolutely full of stories and I'm very grateful to him for coming over and visiting us at Somerset House this week. If you'd like to hear more conversations with magazine makers, go and check us out on SoundCloud or iTunes. Just search for Stack Magazines and you should find us in there. And make sure you follow us while you're there so we can send you next week's episode as soon as it's ready. Thanks very much for listening and we'll be back with another episode on Friday afternoon next week.